So what happens when our plans don't work out? How do we respond when the job that we thought we had for sure we don't get? What happens when we think we know exactly the direction we're going in and then we get U-turned or hit a dead end? I mean, those are things that happen in our lives. I've shared before, you know, Shannon and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and, and then we decided we made plans that in April of 20, we actually celebrated it in, in 2019, but we made plans in the spring of 2020 to go on a 25th wedding anniversary trip and then COVID it. None of us saw that happening. I remember years and years and years ago, and some of you may have these memories, of a job, a youth director job that I thought I was absolutely the perfect candidate for. And the chair of the committee called me up and said, we're going in a different direction. I thought, how could they go in a different direction? This, this made so much sense for me. I feel like every time the church makes a plan in response to how we're going to deal with masks or how we're going to deal with COVID or how we're going to deal with all the restrictions that the state of California comes along and, and changes things up again. And so I do ask, though, as, as I shared earlier uh, with, our, with our congregation, that the elders are meeting on Tuesday, June 8th, to kind of start thinking through what does that look like for us to, to come back in person and what does it mean to be without masks. And, 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 and we want to be responsible in that. I kind of think about it as the three R's. We want to be responsible, we want to be respectful, and we want to be reasonable as we think about this plan. And, and we want you to pray for us as we do that. Because... We, we make plans, and God has his plan, and, and we all know this. We, we all know the struggle of thinking we have it all figured out, and then things go in a different direction. And, and that's, that's part of what's happening in the story of Daniel. And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged in life. We look around, and, and, and we can get down. I love Bono, who's the lead singer of U2, one of my favorite all-time bands. He says that King David was the original composer of the blues. He wrote the songs of sorrow and songs of sadness. And when you read through scripture, we are re- you are reminded time and time again that things don't always go our way. The Psalms are full of those kinds of laments. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. He says, the Psalms are not pretty. They are not nice, but they are honest. And I think we're trying for honesty, which is very, very hard in our culture. The Psalms are honest. They're honest that, because I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we think, well, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to happen my way. I'm going to get the desires of my heart, and on and on and on. And the Psalms paint a different picture than that. But they're brutally honest. But in the midst of that, they also remind us that God is with us. That God has a plan. That God orchestrates the direction of our lives. Proverbs 16, verse 9, puts it like this. In their hearts, humans plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. God establishes our steps. God works in the midst of all of that. And that's what we have to remember. That even when things 
aren't going our way. God is at work. I, I think about that youth director job I didn't get that I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon. Praise God I didn't get it. I needed to be where I was that year. And it wasn't where I thought I should be. But it was a great learning experience for me. And so today we start this sermon series on Daniel. Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they thought they had their lives figured out. They were going to be leaders in the nation of Israel. They were amongst the best and the brightest. They were trained well. And they were going to help bring leadership to Jerusalem. And then with the Babylonian invasion, all of that changes. And so we want to pick up that story now. Daniel chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 7. Here's what we read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. Now, if Jehoiakim sounds familiar, it might, because he was king during the reign of Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah was a prophet. We spent last summer working our way through the prophetic words of Jeremiah. So Daniel is a contemporary of Jeremiah. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. Now, the, the word there is, is in the Hebrew is the word Shinar. It's the same word that's used for Babel, the Tower of Babel. And what it describes is a place that is in opposition to God, whether it's Babel, whether it's Babylonia, it is in opposition to God, and it's in the temple. And put it in his treasure house of his God. Verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service, enter, the king, enter King Nebuchadnezzar's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. So this is how the story begins. Historically, the life of Daniel seems to be around the year 605 B.C. to 539 B.C. Uh, probably a few, <laughs> few years on this side or that side, but, but that's basically what's going on. So I want to think about what's happening historically around Daniel during this time. You may recall that the Assyrian Empire had been reigning. They had actually come into the northern kingdom of Israel, because remember Israel was divided into two kingdoms under the, the sons of of uh, Solomon, of Rehoboam, and Jeroboam. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel, you have the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom is wiped out by Assyria in 722-721 BC. But then Assyria's power begins to wane. And what happens is Egypt tries to make an alliance with Assyria, 
and then they try to create their own nation and their kingdom. But eventually they're defeated by the Babylonians. And in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar is victorious. And we know that a few years after that, the city of Jerusalem will fall. But what Nebuchadnezzar does is he takes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He takes some of the top young men from nobility and wealthy families and brings them into the Babylonian Empire. And what that does is it causes extreme brain drain within the community, within the nation of Judah. And he brings them in to train them and to teach them. They learned the language. They learned the culture. They were indoctrinated, if you will, for three years. They had their names changed. Their names were changed that they represent a relationship with the gods of Babylon instead of the God of Israel. And what's fascinating to me is that they kind of acclimated to that. Now, we're going to see next week that they eventually push back against some things. But they allowed themselves to be brought into the culture, to learn the language, to look around them and see what was happening. And in the midst of that, I think, to testify to God's goodness and to his grace. You see, we can talk about what's happening historically, but what is the nature of the book of Daniel? We know so many of those stories, and we're going to be taking a look at some of those throughout the summer sermon series. But the, the, the interesting thing to me is this, is there was a sense of saying, we, we, we need to know our boundaries, but there's certain things that we're okay with. We can learn the language. We can learn the customs. We can listen in. It goes to what Jeremiah 29, when Jeremiah is prophesying about the Babylonian captivity and the people being led away and, and the other prophets not believing they were going to be gone that long and Jeremiah saying, yes, you're going to be gone for, for, for a long, long, long time before you are able to return back to Judah. And in verse 5 of Jeremiah 29, this is what he has said. And you may recall this text. He says to the people, you are to build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Get that. Peace and prosperity of the city where you've been carried into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers you too will prosper. And so what's happening, Daniel and his friends, they begin to get acclimated to the culture. They don't, go, they don't get into the culture. They still are faithful. They still make their faith a priority. They exegeted their culture. They looked around them and learned from them. But they didn't retreat, and they didn't cave in. And I think there's always this fine balance for us as Christians living in a secular society, figuring out how do we balance it all. So let's think about this theme of exile. Because I would suggest this. I would suggest that, that we have not 
been led away into exile. Now, some some feel as though we are in exile here in, in our own nation and in our own country because we we feel like we don't totally fit, and and that's that, hey, that's that's a scriptural thing. The Bible makes very clear we are strangers in a strange land, and so we haven't been taken away in that sense of being exiled. But there are people who do believe that something has been taken away from us. And I don't mean just this past year, although certainly the pandemic has been a part of that. But over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 decades, however long you want to go back, as you listen to people, as you read people, there is some lamenting about what has happened to our core values. What has happened to our morals? What has happened to those things that perhaps we once held dear? And, and, and we feel as though that has been taken away from us. And, and what happens in the midst of this is, is sometimes it's not just language that's being written. It's, it's the way in which people speak. And there's anger. And it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on in this. There's, there's anger and there's frustration. And we speak right past each other. We're not really good at listening. And, and I hear sometimes people saying, when do we get to go back to normal? As though normal, whatever the person's imagination or whatever the person's thinking of it is, as though normal was something that was great. Well, before the pandemic, which is what I think sometimes people mean by saying we want to go back to normal, things weren't all that great. There were still sort of all sorts of economic issues, socioeconomic issues, cultural issues, racial issues, social justice issues. And, and, and we tend to think that, that you know, all those, those things didn't exist, but they did. And so I'm not so sure I, I want to start talking about going back to normal. But what I do want to talk about and what I want to be about in this sermon series is saying, how do we hold on? How do we show forth our faith in the midst of a culture and a society that often seems to be clashing? And we have vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. We have masks. We have no masks. We have CNN and we have Fox News. And, and, and people seem to live in these echo chambers. But I don't think that's where God wants us to be. I think God wants us on the ground. God wants us listening to one another. God wants us learning from one another. But in the midst of that, God wants us to hold on to the distinctiveness of our faith. To make sure that we are loving our neighbors well. To make sure that we are paying attention to our culture and figuring out ways that we can speak to our culture about the ways and the hope of Jesus. Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul has made his way to Athens. And, and I love this story. We're not going to read all this story. But I love when Paul gets to Athens, he, he walks around the city. He listens to the conversations. He sees the shrines. He sees the idols. He sees the, the, the location of places as to the unknown God because in the Greco-Roman world, they wanted to make sure they got every God. And just in case they missed one, 
they had a place that was known as the unknown God. And what's beautiful, what's amazing about the Apostle Paul is he says, look, I know that you have this shrine. You have all these shrines. But you also have this one that says, to the unknown God. And he said, what I want to do, I want to tell you about that unknown God. Because what Paul's doing is he's inviting himself into a conversation. He's learning the culture. He's listening to people. He's seeing what the people are about. They're about the gods. They're about the shrines. They're about the altars. And he says, let me tell you about the God. This is verse 24. We read this. It says, the God, this is Paul's speech to the leaders in Athens. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him, reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Paul says, you all believe in a lot of gods, but let me tell you about the one triune God. The one who formed you, the one who made you, the one who set the boundaries around this world. The one who is not far from you, the one who is for you. Paul says, this is the God I want to share with you. And as we know, and if you know this story, what happens is some people listen to Paul and some people don't. And that's our job. Look, it doesn't matter. it's not our job to force people to listen to us. We simply tell the story. We reveal the faithfulness of God. We scatter the seed. That's our job. And we can be reckless scatterers because Jesus in his parable talks about the farmer who just scatters the seed on the rock and in the path that, 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 that's trod upon and in the weed. I mean, he, the, the farmer throws it everywhere. That's our job. But we have to do it in a way that the culture understands. And this is what I think is brilliant about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They learned the ways of the culture for three years. They learned the language. They learned the systems. They had their names changed. But as they were doing that, they were also becoming known. And we'll read about this later. Because they could testify to God's goodness and to his grace. So we are strangers in a strange land. We are pilgrims. But if you think about pilgrims, pilgrims on a pilgrimage, they have a focus. And we too have a focus. But here's the dilemma. There's one in the world that we call the devil. Diabolos is the Greek word. And literally that word means the one who throws a cross. Which means the devil is the one who ruptures relationships. The devil is the one who creates chasms. The word literally means divides. What is the devil seeking to do to divide us? To divide us as Republicans or Democrats? 
wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, getting a vaccination, not getting a vaccination, and to drive a wedge in between us. And for us to point fingers at others. But I think Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teach us a different lesson. They say, hey, we got to figure this thing out. And we're going to be in this together. And we're going to work our way through it. We don't want to be divided. I don't want us to be divided. We go further together. So wrapping up then, how, how, what made... What allowed Paul and Daniel and his buddies to be so successful in what they did? How did they keep their focus? I want to suggest one thing, and I want us to think about it in terms of their lives, but also in our own lives. And I want to talk about margin and how as believers, we need to have margin in our lives. And so we've got a picture here. Uh, some of you may remember this. You may remember when you used to, when we used to do handwriting way before typewriters and, and, and computers now, um, you, you, you got a piece of paper and you wrote your story. And the teacher said you have to have margins, one inch on the top, one inch on the bottom, one inch on the right, one inch on the left, and write within those margins. Because the bottom line is this. It gets hard to read when you go from one, far, one piece of the paper to the other side of the paper. But it's interesting that if you look at an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, it's 93.5, I wrote this down, 93.5 square inches. More than a third of that, if you have an inch, on, inch margin around the whole page, more than a third of that is margin. And then the rest is where you write. And what we know, what you know, whether you know this or not, is that it's good to have some margin when you're trying to read the writing. Because you've probably had textbooks or academic books where they don't like to use margins. And you're reading from one side of the page to the other side of the page, and there's barely, barely, barely any margin. But it's much easier to focus when there is margin. And what matters is what happens in the margin. I think for Daniel, I think for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think for the Apostle Paul, I hope for us that we leave some room for margin in our lives. Because it's there in the margin that God writes his story. It's there in the margin when we're resting, when we're praying, when we're focusing, that God gets to get into our lives and God helps to refocus us because we're easily distracted. We easily run off the page. And I think scripture time and time again is saying, hey, look, try and find a little balance. And I know balance is a hard word, but we can try and find some margin. We try and leave some space on the page for God to do his good work. Because ultimately, that's what God longs to do, to provide a space and a place for us, for us to learn from him. So let's think about being intentional this summer, about providing some margin for God, about pushing back some things, so we can have space and a place for God to speak to us. And honestly, that's one of the great things that happens here at this table. God meets us. God says, I'm for you. God says, I'm with you. In spite of a world that we may not always understand, God says, I'm going to be faithful to you. And our calling 
is to seek to be faithful to him.